welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Scripture reading for Samuel chapter 17 verses 1 to 11. A big event in the history of Israel. The challenge by uh, Goliath from Gath. It says in verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah. So they were in Judah's territory, all right? And they camped between Sokah and Azekah, and, and Aphis Demim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley in between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. It's huge. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man from yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, being holy and righteous and true, Father, we're grateful that... uh, Uh, We can look to your word for uh, strength, for wisdom, for knowledge as we turn again to Ecclesiastes today. And uh, uh, you have so encouraged us through this book. And and Father, as we think about uh, life and uh, uh, those unknowns that we face, what will tomorrow hold? And as you think today about uh, some of the things that we have to face against all odds, I pray that we will be encouraged that you are in full control. Father, you are sovereign. You are powerful and mighty to save. And uh, as we uh, pray here today for this church, this local gathering of your flock, Father, we think about uh, Carolyn who's in the hospital and now a doctor who says, I'm going to find out what this is. Uh, Lord, give him insight and wisdom and understanding uh, to her situation and and give Carolyn's body strength in order to heal that she can come home soon. And Lord, as we think about uh, Pastor Weiler and uh, the joy and uh, the strength he's given us, uh, we just pray for him today according to your will 
that uh, uh, you bless him and his family, Andrea, and uh, uh, whatever would become, that your church will be strengthened, Lord, and uh, that saints will be taught the word and truth, and uh, uh, they will glorify the name of Christ because of it, Lord. Thank you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I've titled this one, Against All Odds. Although most people in America are familiar with the account of David and Goliath, they've heard it. I'm not going to presume that everyone realizes what a tremendous long shot David's victory over that nine-foot giant, over nine feet, actually was. It was a long shot. Goliath was not only a giant of a man. We saw that in our scripture reading in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He was also a very experienced professional soldier. He knew how to fight. Uh, he, he was for the Philistines, truly for the Philistines, their equivalent of our modern day special forces. He was a professional soldier. And this is the reason when we read the entire account, continue on in chapter 17, it's the reason that King Saul and all of, all of Israel was greatly afraid. Greatly afraid when challenged by Goliath. It's helpful to note, as we think about this, that Saul himself was also a very experienced and successful military leader. He'd been very successful in battle earlier in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 14, we read uh, that Saul acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. There we also learn, when battling against the Philistines, the war against the Philistines was severe in all the days of Saul. Therefore, when Saul saw any mighty man or any valiant man, he attached him to his staff. That means that, that Saul had successfully recruited a lot of, of very valiant assassins to Israel's army. Saul and his army were not a bunch of pansies. They, they were not. And what this assures us is that this champion of the Philistines named Goliath, oh, he, he was an absolute bruiser. He was an absolute bruiser. Neither Saul nor any of the valiant soldiers that he had recruited into his army would answer the challenge to Goliath. Because to do so, it would mean certain death to whoever challenged him. I would say, therefore, if Las Vegas were to compute the odds, the odds that David, a young shepherd boy, inexperienced in warfare, could defeat Goliath, a proven champion, throughout many battles, they would probably find that that's about as likely as me scoring a basket over top of LeBron James. Possible, possible, but not likely. Not likely at all. Hypothetically possible, uh, but it would have to happen against the odds. It'd be like a miracle. Some would say miracle. It'd be like the miracle on ice. Do you remember that during the 1980 
Olympics when the American amateur hockey team defeated the professional team of Russia. And and the odds were so great against the American team that it, it simply should not have happened. It should not have happened. That's why they call it a miracle. But it wasn't really a miracle. No, a true miracle defies the laws of nature and of physics. A true miracle is parting of the Red Sea. It's a man walking on water. It's Jesus turning water into wine. It's a corpse resurrected from the dead. Those are true miracles. Jesus and his apostles... They were able to achieve true, bona fide miracles, signs, and wonders. So what we see today, or what people describe today as miracles, they're not actually miracles. They don't defy the laws of physics. Uh, They're just unexplainable things that somehow uh, they happened all against the odds. Completely against all odds. Folks, this was a situation when David faced Goliath. Israel never labeled it as a divine miracle. But it did defy all the odds. A sling and a stone and a direct hit against an experienced professional warrior. Folks, that, that's hard to explain. That's hard to explain. But, it, but it's not paranormal. It's not outside the laws of physics. And, and this is the emphasis that I want to note for us Nonetheless, nonetheless, David credited the Lord God with orchestrating his victory. It was God behind the victory, even though it wasn't a miracle. God was working all things through natural means. And David called to Goliath. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands... And I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And, he says, all this assembly will know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands, says David. Again, a major theme of Ecclesiastes, cover to cover, is that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over any, everything. And believers view God as provident over every success we have, even when it's against the odds. We know that God ultimately works all things for good. That's why when something really good happens to us, we say, praise Jesus. Now think about that for a second. If He wasn't behind it orchestrating it, and we know that, Why then would we say, praise Jesus? Why would we blurt out, praise God, if we didn't truly believe that God was behind it and orchestrating it? We'd be taking God's name in vain. We'd be blaspheming if we didn't truly believe. Saying praise Jesus because you mean it. Don't just blaspheme God's name in vain. That's because God is in complete control. Praise Jesus. 
God is in complete control. Uh, Therefore, we don't give up. We don't, without hope, surrender quickly, even when the odds are stacked against you. You We may never become famous. We might never rise to the notoriety of David. Likely, we won't. We may quickly be forgotten. Wisdom says that according to God's will, the victory belongs to God. Consider these things as I read our passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. Solomon writes, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly befalls on them. Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, man, a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his, his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Boy, what a passage. That's the word of the Lord right there. like you to note that there is probably, there's likely, in fact, I'm sure there is some link between verse 10 and the remainder of this chapter. You know, most of the time a writer doesn't communicate through disjointed and unrelated thoughts. I think that's one of the biggest problems people have when misinterpreting Ecclesiastes. Uh, They think it's all entirely miserable and glooming. Well, it's somewhat gloomy, But it's not entirely. Our error is quoting one-liners rather than making an effort to understand the context. We just quote, oh, death is better than life. And we're like, oh, that's horrible. Well, read the context. Read the context. Because this is wisdom literature. But we treat Ecclesiastes too much like individual proverbs. We, We parse them apart. Take them out of context. Uh, but there is context. There is context. So I believe when verse 10 says that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Solomon not only intends that to serve as a conclusion to verses 1 through 9, but also as an intro to verses 11 through 18. Put in maximum effort. Try with all your might, because wisdom says you should never underestimate what God can do through your lack of ability. 
through your, your lack of resources. You know, sometimes by God's grace, we'll beat the odds. But not all the time. So as I read verse 11 again, I'm going to add the phrase, not always, to each circumstance. Because obviously, this is Solomon's intent. uh, Because very often the race actually does go to the swift, right? Very often the battle does go to the best warrior. But not always. Not always. And what Solomon is trying to remind us is to always maintain hope. Never give up in dire situations. Always make an allowance. Always leave room for God. So if I'm understanding right, this is what Solomon means in verse 11. I again saw under the sun that the race is not always to the swift. And the battle is not always to the warriors. And neither is bread always to the wise nor wealth always to the discerning, nor favor always to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Someday the giant's going to fall. And the words time and chance, they refer not to randomness, but to an unknown time. An unknown time, an unforeseen event, an unpredictable ending. (laughs) Goliath never saw it coming. He never saw it coming. I'll be careful here as uh, as we look at this passage, but reflecting back on 1 Samuel chapter 17, is to make sure that we don't always read ourselves into the passage. You you know, this, this... passage, Goliath and David, it's, it's not about us. It's not about us. Uh, the proper way to interpret that uh, is called exegesis. You, you take the meaning out from the text, what it says, and interpret it, rather than eisegesis, which means you read in what you think into the passage, all right? That's the difference. Exegesis, we want to pull out, rather than eisegesis, put in what we think. We, we can't just assume things that are not written in the passage. Then there's another, there's another way of interpreting it. It's called narcissism. Yeah, narcissism. just heard this recently from a guy, uh, a pastor. He was talking about uh, narcissism, where people insert themselves into the scenario in the Old Testament and say, well, this, this is all about me. But it's not all about you. And there's a reason that I didn't title this How to Slay the Goliaths of Your Life. Because it's not about you. What does Jesus say? You search the Scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is these, he's speaking the Old Testament then, it is these that speak about me. Scriptures speak about Jesus. Not about us individually when it comes to these situations. There's a king in Israel, is what we know. And he's going to save his people. And he's going to slay a giant. Sound familiar? We'll wrap up with that thought today. Goliath never saw it coming. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. The, the strong don't always win. Praise Jesus. 
You ever heard someone say, boy, well, that, that was a freak shot? Because, because sometimes a hockey puck, it sneaks by into the net. Goal! Sometimes during battle, as in the death of a wicked king named Ahab, Scripture tells us this, a certain man draws out his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the army, of, the, of his armor. It's when he was running away. It's 1 Kings chapter 22. The event appears, as we look at it, to be random and by chance. You know, just, just bad luck. Wrong time, wrong place, the world would say, until you discern earlier in the chapter, earlier in the book, that it was the Lord God Yahweh who ordained the king's death. It's not luck. It's God. And time and chance catches up to you. But the Lord's favor, it's not always towards the men of greatest ability. This is Solomon's point. Divine wisdom would say, give it your best shot. Give it your best shot. Verse 10, do it with all your might. Because you never know. You never know. Leave room for the mighty hand of God. As the Lord wills, well, you just might beat the odds. Don't give up on life. 1 Samuel chapter 17, there I, I don't believe that King David was being presumptive. When, when, he, when he cried out to Goliath saying, uh, the Lord will deliver you uh, this day into my hand. Now, scripture doesn't reveal exactly how David knew that. But it, was, it wasn't presumption. What we do know in 1 Samuel is that just one chapter earlier, 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel had anointed David as king right in front of his brothers. David had already been anointed king. And we read that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And because David had just been anointed king of Israel by the prophet Samuel, well, he saw that 40-day standoff with Goliath. It went on for 40 days, Goliath coming out each day, send me a man, send me a man, send me a man. Taunting Israel. And nobody has the courage to lead and stand up and say, I'm going. It was David's destiny. He knew the people of God need some leadership here. No one's stepping up. I've been anointed king. I'm going. Folks, we don't have the same privilege. We don't get to boast in victory before it is won. King Ahab uh, wasn't the brightest king to ever rule Israel. But one of the wise statements that he made is found in 1 Kings chapter 20. And this is after the king of Samaria had uh, boasted or bragged about how he was going to come in the next day and sack Israel. Going to clean Ahab's clock in battle. And Ahab, in response, sent back a messenger with this reply. I love this passage, this verse. Tell him, in reply to the king of Samaria, let not him who girds on his armor 
boast like him who takes it off. The following day, after the battle, when Ahab removed his armor, he stood victorious. You don't boast before the battle in the same way that you do once you take it off. Uh, Boasting and presumption, folks, are evil. They are evil. God does not approve. You don't get to declare, as, as David did, uh, going up against your opposition, against the giants, uh, saying, well, I'm going to win this day for sure. You don't get to put words in the mouth of God and say, I will be victorious today. Uh, God does not today send us, in the same way, uh, prophets who assure us that ba- the battles that we face tomorrow, uh, what they will bring. We don't have that. Hebrews uh, chapter 1 states that God who long ago spoke through the prophets in, in many portions and in many ways long ago today has spoken to us in His Son. The revelation that we need is in His Son. People don't get to predict tomorrow. That's presumption. People don't know what tomorrow will bring. James, the Lord's brother, assures in James chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance All such boasting is evil. How does that work with the name-it-claim-it theology of today? Oh, just speak it. Speak it into existence. Well, that's evil. Presuming what the Lord's going to do and putting words into His mouth. Um, Folks, the proliferation. Just beware of this proliferation of pastors and wannabe pastors and internet so-called pastors. and They never seem to have a church, though. And uh, other false prophets and evangelists who declare, Oh, God spoke to me. A bunch of baloney. A bunch of baloney. If you want to discern a false teacher real fast, uh, they say, Well, God told me to tell you this. Why didn't God just tell me? Or God spoke to me, or God told me in your heart, this is what you're supposed to do. No, He didn't. You're not a prophet. Stop putting words into God's mouth. How dare we do such things? Such a person has spoken presumptuously. God sees it that as evil. Uh, the way God that speaks to all, uh, the way that God speaks to us all today, folks, is right here through the Word of God. He speaks to us all. We don't need another mediator besides Christ in order to tell me what God's saying to me. God says it to me. Familiar who Justin Peters is, right? It's good. He says, uh, he goes, you want to hear God speak today? Read His Word. You want to hear God speak audibly? Read it out loud. (laughs) That's a good one. I just watched a video of him again last night. Good stuff. Yeah, we don't get to presume. And here's what we need to know. We have no idea what tomorrow's battle may bring. No idea at all. 
As verse 12 states, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Goliath eventually went down. Solomon says, time and chance overtake them all. Either time, meaning age, you're going to age to where you fall. That'll cause the champion to eventually fail. Or chance, some random arrow shot up, hits, uh, penetrates the chink in an armor. Either way, give it your best shot. Give it your best shot and give God the glory. Wisdom says you at least got to show up. You at least have to try. You've got to do it with all of your might if you want any chance of beating all the odds. You've got to show up on game day, folks. You've got to try. Don't fold your hand in life. Go after it. You never know what God's going to do. Live as if you believe in God. Uh, Therefore, in verse 13, because you have a chance of beating the odds, Solomon provides an example. It's an illustration. It's an illustration of this very phenomenon that wisdom, wisdom sometimes beats the odds. He writes, also this, I came to see as wisdom under the sun means on earth. And it impressed me. Solomon says, this impressed me. Literally in the Hebrew, I'm told it says, great it was to me. Solomon is amazed at what he saw. The impression given is that Solomon really marvels over this scenario that he's been entitled to witness under the sun. Many Hebrew scholars believe the grammar itself doesn't suggest, uh, suggests that this is not a hypothetical or fictitious story. He, he speaks it as if this is something he actually saw, a historic event that Solomon himself witnessed. And he says this, There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it. He surrounded it, constructed large siege works against it, But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he delivered the city. How? By his wisdom. It's incredible. It should have never happened. Not only was the city small, but it also had few men in it. You ever been to a high school football game in a small rural town? Farm country? you look at the team and you know that it takes 11 to field an offense and 11 to field a defense. They're like only 14 players on the sideline. Therefore, most, most of those players have to play both ways, offense and defense, to field a team. You look at them and quite a few of them are scrawny. A couple of players run kind of awkward like a chicken. Their head kind of bobs. They don't look real coordinated. But it's because the town is small. Population is probably 200. And there are only a few students to make up a team. 
That describes our small city in this story. There are no great heroes there. There are no people to field a great battle and win the day. Then you see the visiting team. They come from a neighboring town of about a thousand. They pull up in their bus. Because in small towns you don't have changing rooms at the football field. It's, it's literally just a field with goalposts on each end. And the bus pulls up with the opposing team, the visiting team. The players step off their bus already dressed in their helmets and gear. And this team comes in, all their uniforms match. It's like, whoa. It's because their team has an athletic budget. <laughs> their players are big. There's like 40 of them. Stepping off the bus. And the parents of the home team, this is what they start doing. They're like, They're thinking, mom and dad are thinking, this is not going to be pretty. And then comes the opening kickoff. And the home team runs it back for a touchdown. And nobody knows how that scrawny little number 11 slipped through. There was, there was no hole there. But he's only 138 pounds. He didn't need much room. Later comes the recovery of a freak fumble. Then one of their big guys gets a personal foul rough in the quarterback. Then a fourth quarter tipped pass. Intercepted and run for a touchdown. Home team wins. Sometimes victory comes through a coach who exploits a chink in the opposing team's armor. Sometimes it's one of the players, scrawny math student, figures out the cadence or the count or the audibles of the opposing team. And Solomon is watched from the sideline and seeing that little city beat the odds. Folks, wisdom defeats strength. I've seen that game. I've played in that game. And you've played in that game too. Wisdom. Merging wisdom with the right time uh, and not so random chance. God grants the victory. God's in control. Folks, God is sovereign. Don't think you can't get that job. Apply. Give it your best shot. Don't believe it's impossible to get accepted into that college. Your grades aren't quite there. Don't go through life that way. Seize the day and watch what God does. Leave room for God to do what seems impossible. I will say this. You've got to show up for the game. You have to. You've got to show up. You've got to play. You've got to try your hardest. Give it your all. You want to see God do some surprising things in your life? Show up and leave it to God. He will do it. But you must do it with all your might. 
for the small town in the story. It was life or death for them. It says a great king came to it, surrounded it, constructed, constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. So Solomon concluded, boy, wisdom is better than strength. Yet no one remembered the poor man. And the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. You know, just because your words are wise, just because you're speaking uh, with truth, your words aren't always going to be heeded. People aren't always going to listen. You think a poor man's actually going to be remembered, even if he saves a city? Usually not. Usually not. You know, people don't enjoy celebrating poor people. They really don't. Uh, sinful humanity prefers to celebrate what they adore. Strength, beauty, wealth, power, privilege. You know, people don't identify with others who are small and weak. But God does. Jesus does. People don't really care all that much about the little guy. But here's the thing. Wisdom is still better than strength. You may not get honored. The wise poor man may not even be remembered. But wisdom still delivered both him and his city. The people who are surrounding him. And wisdom, when it is heard and when it is heeded, is a sure whole lot, a sure a whole lot better than the shouting that is heard among fools. Verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. It's better. But wisdom still won't always win every day. And King Solomon is urging his reader to understand that wisdom is always the better way. Always the better way. Don't turn your back on wisdom. But also realize that wisdom, sadly, will not always prevail under the sun. That's the turn that this passage is going to take next. That wisdom won't always prevail under the sun. Verse 18. I'm going to leave that verse till next week. Because I progress through the week doing the message. I'm like, that, that better goes along with the opening verses of chapter 10. And next week we're going to learn that wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is always better. But it doesn't always win the day. Just to show how bad it can turn. The wisdom of God came to be born on this earth. In the form of a man named Jesus. He was a poor man. He was despised and rejected. He taught with wisdom like no other ever had. It was said of Jesus that never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. And through wisdom, he tried to save the city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How I would love to gather you as a mother gathers her chicks under her wing. You would not have it. Sinful man 
won't always heed wisdom. And even when he came to his hometown of Nazareth, Mark chapter 6 says that Jesus began to teach in the synagogue and the many listeners were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. And they still tried to run him off a cliff. And the foolishness of man eventually crucified Jesus. But do you know what? The cross, on the cross is the king of Israel. Jesus slayed Goliath. He took him down. It was God's wisdom that by burying our sins in his body, he crushed the serpent's head. Jesus' Jesus' death dealt a mortal blow to Satan, the enemy. And God's people no longer have to fear the giant. And the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to we who are being saved, power of God. Power of God. Amen. Praise Jesus. Next week we're going to discuss, we're going to see that it doesn't take a whole lot of foolishness to destroy much wisdom. Just as chapter 10 says, a few dead flies make a pufer, a, a pufer. <laughs> Josh, you finish this up for me. A few dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. That's next week. That can't be good. But when you eat it, wisdom's going to deliver you from some sticky situations in life. Give it all you've got. Wisdom is better than strength. And it's going to bless you and your family and those who are surrounding you. We, we don't have to be the brightest or the fastest or the best. God is going to win the day. Let's pray and thank Him for how He displays His power through our weakness. Father, it is astonishing how we see You work with power and might in our everyday lives under the sun. And each time that uh, You bless us, Even as we fail, Lord, we see your power. We see your hand working, orchestrating blessings for our life. Father, we know that all things work for good to those who love God. And uh, Father, we would like to share that goodness with everyone here. And we would pray that every heart here would be convicted of their sins. That they would uh, realize that you sent your son himself to die on a cross, bearing our sins and our shame. But Father, we pray if there's anyone here that needs to put faith in your Son, that they would repent, turn to Him, and hang on. Father, thank You for Your church, Your people, Your redeemed, who have persevered, uh, not because of something we've done, but the greatness that You do on our behalf. Father, we thank You. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.